You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Uh, this week we continue a series entitled The Treasure Principle, and our focus today is on treasures in heaven. Uh, the passage that we'll be looking at, if you want to turn your Bibles there, is going to be Matthew 6, and we'll be looking at verses 19 through 24. Uh, before we get to that text, though, I just want to share a story with you uh, that was connected to this series, and it's about this lady named Bertha Adams. She was 71 years old whenever she passed away in West Palm, Florida, and as people showed up to the scene and they uh, were kind of working through her house, they noticed that it was just cluttered. It was a mess. There was things in there. It looked like someone who didn't take care of themselves. It looked like someone who just kind of was, uh, you know, living in disrepair. And just struggling to make things and ends meet. There wasn't a lot of sign of wealth or, or health or prosperity in this house as they went through. And so uh, when they did some investigation and really dug into the life of Bertha, they, it wasn't a surprise to find out that uh, the neighbors had shared stories of the fact that she had really struggled in life. And the fact that she died of malnutrition uh, didn't come as a huge surprise to them because they related that there had been times in the past where she had come over and asked and begged for food and they had given to her, but they didn't realize that she would had gotten to that point, that life had gotten so bad that she would die of malnutrition. And so it saddened them to hear the, the tragic loss that, you know, was seemingly, unavo- that was seemingly avoidable. The fact that she could have uh, maybe asked a few more people, reached out to some other resources, and that other people in that neighborhood could have supported her and helped her to live a little bit longer. You know, it's also uh, a little bit painful and a little bit surprising when these investigators dug into her life a little bit more. After talking with the neighbors and hearing those stories of her begging for things, asking for things, always seemed to be... uh, you know, poor and just doing all she could to get her next meal. It it was surprising when they found out this news that came out that she actually had two safe boxes in the bank in that community. And when they opened up the the, the safe boxes, they found 700 AT&T stock certificates and other hundreds of valuable notes, uh, bonds, financial securities, and cash of up to $200,000. And the other box, there was more than $600,000. And so even though she died of malnutrition, not being able to put any food on the table, it turned out that she had resources beyond what most other people had in that time and in that place. That She was actually a millionaire when she passed away of malnutrition. Hearing that story, it causes us to be a little sad because it seems like that could have all been avoided. And she had access to so much, but she still died with so little. It's hard not to think when you hear that story of someone dying with that amount of money tucked away, not being used, not being valued, not being uh, purposed in any way. 
we think of that as kind of being a waste. And I think our minds automatically go to a place of, well, if I had that kind of money, my life would be so much different. There's different things that I could have bought. I would have had a nice house. I could have maybe paid a maid and made sure that my house was clean, that was taken care of. Uh, you know, I could have paid for my children's education, sent them to college, at least one or two of them, right, with the cost of colleges now. Uh, but, you know, they could have done so much with that, even though she did so little and it seems like a waste. I think that is even heightened in the fact that, you know, in our state, in our current condition of America, of it seems as you talk to people, more and more people struggle just making ends meet. There's so many things that have increased uh, the, the strain of finances in our lives. You know, the, the inflation, the cost of everything going up and not being able to keep up with the things that are matching that. You know, finances and inflation aren't on the same pace. And so as we look at this and we see that it, it makes it stand out that much more. We view it as even more of a tragedy. But I think something that is missing in this whole story is the question of what was her spiritual life like. We look at the financial thing and we view that as a tragedy, but don't even address the spiritual side of it. We don't know where her heart is. We don't know what uh, the state of her spiritual health was. We don't know if she was thriving or starving spiritually in connection to that as well. And, you know, if we think about that from the lens of a spiritual person and how they might have used that money. As Christians, you know, oftentimes we live in this world where we focus so much on the physical that sometimes the spiritual gets put to the side or has to take a back seat to the physical things that we are dealing with. And I think as Christians, one of the biggest challenges is that balance, right? Is that tug of war of things and our reality of, of where we live, the things that we have, the, the pressures we have financially versus the things that we read in Scripture, and really what Jesus teaches us, what Jesus tells us, and really the model that is painted for us, it seems almost unattainable based on the things that we deal with in our day-to-day, -day. the bills that we have to pay, the food that we have to buy, the, the gas that we have to fill up in our tank, and then looking at the fact that we're not supposed to have that as our God, that we're supposed to put God before everything else. And, you know, in our Christian walk, in our Christian desires, we have this battle of, of between where our treasure is. Are we going to focus on the earth or are we going to focus on the eternal? As Christians, we have to really make some different decisions that other people in the world don't make of how we're going to use the money most wisely. How are we going to use it to, as we talked about last week, are we going to add it? Are we going to multiply it? Are we going to invest it? How are we going to use it to help God grow God's kingdom? Because we have a different mindset when it comes to money, where it might be the most important thing to some people and to our world, and we're told that that's the key to everything, to key to success, the key to happiness. That is the result of hard work, of being successful, that money in our bank account really 
makes a statement about who we are and how successful we are versus what the scripture tells us, that that isn't as significant as other things. That's not really the true treasure. That's really not what we should be going after or what we should be trying to attain. And so we are oftentimes pulled with the reality of, of life versus what we read in scripture. And really we have to decide in our life of how we're going to balance that or maybe who we're going to serve. And Jesus addresses that in his teaching in this passage that we're going to look at. You know, at this greatest challenge of how we're going to live our lives, how we're going to manage our money, and really he paints and portrays to us the struggle that is in front of us and tells us and shows us the things that we have to decide between. You know, we kind of talked about this a little bit in a previous sermon, so we're just going to kind of quickly go through and touch on the first part of this passage. Matthew nine or six nineteen reads this: "Do not lay up yourself for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves steal and break in." You know, this is showing us, and Jesus is painting this picture of the reality of our treasures on earth. There are treasures on earth that we have to deal with. There are treasures on earth that we attain. There's treasures on earth that we work for. And that is a reality of our lives, that there are earthly treasures that we deal with. He also paints the other side of things. He says instead of trying to store up those things where all of those bad things, where it's going to rust, where it's going to be destroyed, where you're not going to be able to take with you, instead we should have ourselves treasures in heaven. As verse 20 says, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so Jesus adds this and tells us that that should be our inner attitude. That's really where our perspective of money should be rooted in. That we should be attaining or striving for treasures in heaven. And we can see how we do that. Jesus paints that picture in a lot of different verses and tells us how we can have that life where we are going to be storing up treasures in heaven. And that really comes from our character. It comes from our heart. It comes to the way that we use the money that God has given to us uh, by investing in other people, by investing in kingdom work, and by investing in advancing the gospel through different means. And so that is kind of the quick review of what we talked about in another week and gets us to the point of the passage that we're going to be looking at a little bit deeper and in this Matthew 21 it says this for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Jesus is adding this caveat to it if you will of you know this is why we are going to try to have why we need to balance this why we need to have this struggle and he is telling us that where our heart is he's telling us the key to having treasures in heaven that if we look at our lives, there's a couple things that influence how we have this treasure. Uh, and the first one is our heart. Jesus is teaching that every person invests somewhere. People either invest in earthly treasures or they invest in heavenly treasures. Uh, and sadly, some Christians, uh, though we live in this world, some of us want to hold on to this world. Some of us would rather stay in this world because it's the only world that we know. It's hard for us to envision something else, hard for us to envision something better, hard for us to invest in something that we haven't been to or haven't seen. It's hard for us to have this heart and the vision of a heart the way that God 
paints this picture. We have Jesus' word that tells us these things, but we haven't experienced them ourselves. And so we really need to rely on our heart and its connection to God. Because that is the way that God shows us. That's the way that God guides us. That's the way that God instills in us the things and the values that he wants us to have. Jesus is saying that our hearts follow our treasure. So if you want to know where your heart is, and if you want to do kind of a uh, analysis of your life, if you're struggling with this and you have this desire of like, you know what, I really want to have my heart set on things above. One of the quickest ways to do that is to just open up your bank account or look at your receipts or look at your house or look at your bills and, you know, show me where your bank statements are. Show me your credit card statements. Show me your expenses. And that is oftentimes where your heart is. I think the things that we invest in are oftentimes the things that we focus on and our heart follows that. You know, if you've ever been someone who has invested in stocks, uh, you would probably be a little bit more in tune with that stock. If you have a stock, even though there's probably thousands and thousands of different stocks, there's one or a handful of them that you actually care about because your money is invested in that. If you have, for say, a stock in Ford, you're just going to probably be focusing on that and you will have a lot more... uh, interest in what is happening in the Ford company when vehicles are going to be released, if they have good vehicles that are going to be released, if they are selling high, if they're selling a lot of them, and your every day might be committed to seeing what that number is doing, if it's going up or if it's going down. Whereas if you are maybe investing in something else, say a uh, uh, you know, a missions cause and a missionary's cause. Uh, let's say you're investing in the Beringers, right? Where they're over in Cambodia, you're going to have, if you're giving money to them and you have that financial investment in their lives, then you're going to probably spend some time looking to see what is going on in their lives. You're going to care about the Facebook posts that they put. You're going to care about their, their newsletter. You're going to care about the different things that they are doing. You might even try to connect and communicate with them. And so you'll take time to look at that and your heart will go there. Our time and our energy and our efforts oftentimes follow our money trail. And wherever that money is going, that's where our heart will be as well. And so Jesus understood that. And some people may pray for that, right? Maybe sometime at some point in your life, you've maybe desired, hey, I want to be more passionate about missions. I've just never been able to really care a lot about missionaries. I haven't ever had that heart. I know the Bible tells us to have a heart for missions, that tells us to have a heart for, for sharing the gospel, but it's just never something that I've been passionate about. If you truly want to become passionate about it, the easy trick is to invest in it. If you truly want to care about missions, find a mission to support. Find a mission to invest in, and it might be $20, $30, $50, whatever it is, but you will start to care about that. If you're spending money on it, your interest level will be there. And so by doing that, if you truly want to change your heart then change where you spend your money and your heart will follow. God understood this. He understands how we are created and how we are made. Jesus gives us insight into that and it stands true. You look at anybody and they care about most is the things that they spend their money on. And God wants our hearts. 
He's looking for disciples so filled with vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their time, their money, and their prayers where it will matter most. So if you truly want a heart for God, pray and ask him where he would want you to invest. Allow him to guide you in that process so that you can have a heart for him and you can serve him in that way. The next verse, that, the next part of this passage is this. It says this, uh, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It might seem like Jesus is changing the subject here. He shifts from the heart and the desires to the desires of the eyes that see. But in terms of heart and eyes, they both refer to the inner person and different aspects of our life's direction. Heart and eyes are actually used interchangeably very often in Scripture. And one of the great examples of that is Psalm 119, where in verse 10 it says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. Verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not of selfish gain. Verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So we have this vision of the eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Jesus wants us to understand with our heart and with our eyes, we can see something beyond what we see physically in front of us. There's something more to that. There's something beyond that. He says there's lessons that if you can't take your eyes and heart off material things, if you only have them for this world, that those satisfactions will at some point cease. And our heart and our eyes will fade with that. But if we set our hearts and our eyes on the possessions of of heavenly things, of those gains instead, then we can have insight and see what is truly important. And so we have this battle that we struggle with. Where is our vision? We have two visions that can happen. The vision of our heart, the vision of our eyes, and where those are going to look. And so when we're dealing with our finances, it's really important to know what we are looking at, what we are seeing, what we are feeling, and what we are investing in. Look for things that God wants you to be seeing. Look for things and feel things that God wants you to feel and understand. Jesus tells us that this is one of those keys to being able to have a treasure in heaven. Verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So here Jesus uses Hebrew poetry that no one can serve two masters. He describes an absolute contrast. And we think it's impossible to serve God and money. And Jesus tells us that. He points and pushes these things to the extremes and says there's no middle ground. You can't have that in between. You can't have that sometimes. It's black or white. It's yes or no. What are you serving? And I think that this is one of the most difficult things of our lives. This is one of the most challenging aspects of being a Christian in a culture and in a community that we have and a 
country that is so affluent and with expectations and and you look around and our culture is driven by money by capitalism and by being able to have the things that we want when we want them uh you know this last week our uh, country really shows where our heart is right the black friday uh special that starts on monday or even before that now right it used to be black friday now it's just black november i think um because it's just is they are on this race to to get people to spend their money there first and we are oftentimes in a race to spend our money there first too right who's going to give me the best deal uh what can i buy that i really want i've been waiting for this sale to come up so now i can buy it yes i finally got what i want or i really think my kids are going to want this and so we buy their christmas presents we buy the things we have those lists i don't know how far into that process you you went but you know this is that prime time of when we are really focused on the things that our hearts want the things that our minds want and maybe our uh, garages want or whatever it might be right But it is the symbol and the sign that maybe uh, where our heart and where our eyes were uh, this past week or during this time is really showing us who we're serving. And Jesus says you can only serve one or the other. You're either serving money or you're serving God. And even though we had all these sales, even though we had all this money to spend, even though the businesses are, you know, in the black now instead of in the red, uh, uh, the opposite of true of the common consumer like you and I. You know, ours, we maybe go from the black or uh, actually we go from the red to darker red, right? Uh, and that is the reality of America is that people can't really, uh, they don't have the finances to do that. It, I looked at a statistic and it says that 80% of Americans are living in debt. 80% of Americans live in debt, but that doesn't stop 100% of the people from spending more and more money. And, you know, and the, the reality is we're happy on that day. We get those fixes. We get that thrill from finding and getting to spend money. There is something that is addictive about spending money, right? It makes us feel good. It makes us feel happy. I'm sure there's some science behind that. But uh, like we fulfill our gratification. But even though uh, and we know, oh, maybe I'm in debt. Maybe I don't have this money to spend, but it still feels fun. I don't want to be restricted. I don't want to be limited. Uh, I am just going to spend, spend, spend. And so uh, comes January or our next bill cycle, right? And we were like, oh, I spent that much money? Uh, well, you know, it just took me from 5000 to $6,000 in debt. What is the really big deal? Or maybe it's 100 to 110 But, you know, eventually we get to that point where that reality catches up with us. And, even, and 80% of people live in debt, and 65% of them admit that they have stresses related to their finances. 65%, and that seems like a low number to me, of people who stress about finances. That other 15 probably just doesn't care, and they just, like, I'm just going to declare bankruptcy one day, right? They have that, that plan. They've got the financial system figured out, and so they don't stress about it, but they're still in debt more and more. But we live in that daily struggle. That is the reality of our lives, is that debt and that master of money is forcing us into this place. And and Jesus, really, if you look at it, none of us like to be stressed out about money, but most of us are stressed out about money. If not you, your neighbor, your friends. Because this is the image that is painted to us, is that we are okay to spend. It's okay to go in debt. 
but really the people who end up winning are those companies that hold your notes. They're not stressing out about whether you owe them ten or 20000 They They know that if you don't pay, that you're going to have to pay an interest, and that makes them more money, so they would rather you not make that payment. And we end up living in this life of indebtedness. We become slaves, and Jesus tells us, you know, uh, debtors d- become slaves to their masters and the people who are, they are indebted to. Most of us would admit that we only go to work because we have bills to pay. We're not going to work for fun. We're not going to work because we think it's going to make life so much better. We're just going to work so that we can pay that next bill, so that we can pay off that mortgage, so we can pay off that, that vehicle that we took out, so that we can pay for our kids' college tuition, so that we can pay for our grocery bill or the electric bill. And the reality is we are indebted. We are slaves to the master of money and to the people that we are borrowing money from. We can't just stop paying. We have to keep going to work day after day after day. And that stress keeps building day after day after day. And that's what Jesus knows. That's what God knows. And that hurts God's heart to see us enslaved to that to be running and chasing that wheel over and over again like hamsters trying to catch up, trying to pay, trying to finally be debt-free, but it just keeps spinning, it keeps spiraling, it keeps going. And God knows that stress that weighs on our hearts. He says, if you could just break free of that, I have so much better things for you. I have a better plan. If you wouldn't be slave to money and you would serve me, that's where true joy comes from. So God wants us to be free of that, but it's so, so challenging. I think some of us feel like we can never get to that point, but I think God knows that there is always hope. There's always help, and he wants us to seek him first to help us be able to change that, and it might come with an extremely drastic lifestyle change. It may cause us to to really evaluate if we want to live our lives for God. What's that going to take? What's that look like? And if we want to have that life, if we want to have that experience, we have to get out of the race that we are currently running. Because God knows that our lives can be better. They can be happier. They can be more fulfilling if we aren't enslaved to uh, the master of money. Randy Alcorn shares his story, and I'm just going to read it. The streets of Cairo were hot and dusty. Our missionary friends, Pat and Ruckel Thurman, took us down an alley. We drove past Arabic signs to an overgrown graveyard for American missionaries. As Nancy and I and our daughters, Karina and Angela, followed, Pat joined a sun-scorched tomb that read William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Borden, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims, refusing to even buy himself a car. Borden gave away hundreds and thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. He dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave. After describing his love for God and sacrifices for the Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I'll never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, 
There is no explanation for such a life. After that, the Thermans took us to from Borden's grave to the Egyptian Museum. The King Tut exhibit was mind-boggling. Tutankhamun died at the age of 17. He was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found buried within tombs of gold. The ancient Egyptians believed that in an afterlife, one where they could take earthly treasures, but all the treasures intended for King Tut's internal enjoyment stayed right where they were for more than 3,000 years until discovered in the burial chamber in 1922. And he said he was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, and hidden off a back street littered with garbage. Tutankhamun's grave was littered with unimaginable wealth. Yet where were these two men now? One who lived in opulence and called himself king is in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other who lived in a modest life in service of the one true king is enjoying everlasting reward in God's presence. Tut's life was tragic because of the awful truth discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead. Jesus tells us that our better life, our better choice is to serve God. And again, that takes some different sacrifices. It takes a different approach. It takes a different mindset from the way that we have been raised, how we have been taught, how we've been encouraged, how we've been told is the right way, the smart way, the healthy way. But God has a different plan for us, a better plan. And though the treasures are delayed a little bit, and in heaven instead of on earth, Inevitably, we will have to be uh, one or the other. We make the decision of where we lay up our treasures, whether heaven or on earth. And daily, we make that choice. And some of us view death as a loss. But as Christians, when we lay up that treasure in heaven, we view death as a gain. And we understand that he who's spending his life moving away from his treasures has reason to despair, but he who spends his life moving towards his treasures in heaven has reason to rejoice. Some of us view it as a tragedy to leave our treasures behind here. We try to spend as much as we can before our life inevitably runs out, and we despair the fact that we don't have that much time, that we won't be able to use it all in the way we wanted to or be able to gain as much as we wanted to. But if we have the mindset of serving God, we view that as an opportunity to rejoice. We know that that time is coming, that that celebration is coming, and that we will have the treasures that God has promised us after living a life for Him. And you know, as you get to the end of life, the different way as people approach death is very, very contrasting. You see people facing the two options at the end of life, and you can oftentimes tell if someone is a, a Christian or not by the way they talk about their end of their life. 
Christians oftentimes look forward, they have peace, they have resolution, they look forward and, and are able to calmly and collected in a way that people don't oftentimes understand in our world of how can you be so at peace of, of knowing that your life is about to end versus other people who start to scramble, who start to be concerned, who start to stress out, who try to delay that inevitable thing by doing different things in life, going to all the medical procedures and just extending life as much as they possibly can, no matter the cost. And instead of being at peace, they oftentimes become less peaceful and more stressed the closer to that time they get. There's that despair that fuels their life versus the rejoicing that fills the life of Christians. And so really, Jesus tells us this. Jesus teaches us this because he wants the best for us. He tells us that if we love God, we can have treasures that are not found here anywhere else here on earth. That we can have the treasure of eternal life, the treasure of a relationship with the creator of the universe. And we can end life and live life rejoicing every step of the way instead of living life stressed out and in despair because of never being able to get what we are after in this world. Never having enough, never having as much, never having what we wish we could have. And so the treasure principle comes down to this, is what are you attaining? What are you trying to do? Will you uh, live your life with despair or rejoicing? Hope that you invest in a life of the ends and rejoicing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, I just pray for our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would be with us Lord, I know there's people in this room who are stressed out about the way that they're living, about the life and the finances that they find themselves in. Lord, we ask that you would just help them, that you would come alongside them, that you would put people in their lives or that you would help them find the resources to help them be able to see the different life, to live one of peace in you. Lord, we ask that you would guide all of us in our pursuit of treasure that we could have be laying up our treasures in heaven. Lord, we ask for all of our hearts that we be able to turn to you, that we be able to live for you, and that we be able to find you. Lord, we know that you love us and want the best for us. Help us to be able to, to trust in your truth when it comes to the struggles of how to live our lives, the way the world paints it or the way the scripture paints it. Help us to have the strength and the self-control, the discipline to live according to your truth and help us to find peace in that process. In Jesus' name, amen.